It's kind of the moment we've all been waiting for. The moment we've all been waiting for. It is? I thought the moment we have all been waiting for was next week. Not really. I mean, yes, next week. But this movie has been bubbling around for a long time. It's surprisingly not on the ecstasy of influence. I do not understand it. You know, maybe he had like a limit for how many movies he could put on the well, list. Why didn't he leave off The Raven or something? Or Fantasia? It's not like he <laughs> talks Raven about Fantasia a lot. The was important. The Raven was important. I listened to our episode on The Raven, and so much happens in that movie that I forgot about. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a wacky film. Yeah, uh, but he brings up Nightmare Alley for years. He's just always talked about Nightmare Alley. How this was like the movie. This was his like. Besides Frankenstein at the Mountains of Madness, there was also Nightmare Alley as far as like his golden ring. Maybe it wasn't an influence on him. Maybe he just wanted to adapt it. That's true. I mean, maybe maybe that's the case. I mean, that, that could be the case. He certainly talks about it a lot, and uh, we certainly have for the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. The story of our buddy Stanton Carlisle and his wacky adventures with his with his pals Molly and Miss Ritter and Xena, the warrior princess. Mm -hmm. They. Uh, it's they funny all... because I can only imagine Xena as looking like what's her face who plays Xena, the warrior princess. Lucy Lawless. Yeah. Would make a great Xena. Yeah, she by would. The way. Yeah. I wish he had cast her because she is, she's an, she's, you know, yeah. not an older woman, but she's approaching uh, early middle age. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she's, I don't know how old she is, like my age, maybe a little older. Mm -hmm. She's beautiful. She's a great actress. And she looks like she could kick your butt into the dirt. Yeah. Like, she has a face. She has that face that I imagine Xena has. Like yeah. the jawline and everything. I don't know. I think yeah. she would make a great Xena. Uh, it would have been awesome if she had been cast as Xena just just because it would have been like yeah. great. Like how how many actors get to play two separate characters in their lives named Xena? Not many. <laughs> Not many. It'd be like if James Earl Jones in the nineties had been in a drama play and there was just a character named Darth Vader in it. But it wasn't like Darth <laughs> Vader. It was just another guy named Darth Vader, spelled different. Yeah. It would have been like that, but it's not like that. Yes, we are watching 1947's Nightmare Alley, uh, a movie that would not have gotten made if Tyrone Power had not gone to war and come back and uh, made the movie The Razor's Edge and then been like, I just I don't want to do comedies or swashbuckling films or musicals or anything. I, I want to change my image completely. And this new book just came out called Nightmare Alley. I read it and dang it. I just, I want to get this thing made. And so he brings it to 20th Century Fox's studio chief, Daryl F. Zanuck. And Zanuck's like, well, you're a big star. And if you really want to do it, fine. But I wash my hands of it completely. Mm -hmm. So this movie should have been a small film, but mm -hmm. because it was Tyrone Power's baby, 20th Century Fox just poured a ton of cash into it. And it shows. This mm -hmm. like I've seen this movie. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it bombed terribly mm -hmm. because 20th Century Fox had no faith in it. And so they didn't advertise for it. It became a cult film. And then years later, people were like, as with 90% of our movies... <laughs> Hey, this is like, pretty good. Hey, there's this movie called Nightmare Alley. It's a pretty good movie. And now it's considered not only one of the greatest noir films ever made, but uh, kind of a, a linchpin in noir films. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to know about noir, 
watch Nightmare Alley. It's a it's a gorgeous and very very thought provoking film. I had to in my history class, we were talking about books we had recently read, and I had to explain what Nightmare Alley was to my professor because I brought up Nightmare Alley, and she was like, "What's that?" And I was like, "Oh God, why?" And what did you say? I said it was noir and she was like what's that and i was like oh, god why <laughs> uh and then i explained like it's about a guy he kind of sucks uh he there's a lot of stuff that happens it's really hard to explain just mm-hmm. unprompted <laughs> and she's like cool sounds interesting i actually i think i talked more about william Lindsay gresham than i did about the actual book some people were talking about uh, The Inklings and uh, C.S. Lewis, and mm-hmm. they brought up Joy Gresham, and this is online, and I was just like, how can you talk about them without discussing the fact that she ran to C.S. Lewis because she was running from William Lindsay? Yeah. I think I talked yeah. more about him than I did about uh, the book, so... <laughs> well, we are going to dive on in to, uh, to 1947's Nightmare Alley. Are you mm-hmm. ready? Always. Let's do it. I am Phil. And I'm Willow. And... It's It's Del Toro Toro time. We are upbeat. We're upbeat. See, you can't just start yawning every time I say a word. Don't start yawning. We're we're upbeat. We're upbeat. It's Nightmare Alley. I can't not yawn when I have to yawn. I know. Just don't yawn into the microphone because that's extra work for me. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Willow is yawning not into the microphone. And is yawning so hard she's rubbing her eyes. She's like a cartoon <laughs> bear who's just woken up from a long I, winter's nap. Um, if the long winter's nap was me sleeping, then yeah. Long winter's nap was you sleeping. I woke up at 12. In the morning? PM. <laughs> uh, I know. I was like, uh, should we go ahead and record right now? And you're like, I'm in bed. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that didn't work out but uh we watched nightmare alley it's the Woo! penultimate episode of the nightmare alley series hooray hurrah Ooh. and ladies la- ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i wish you could have been there when we were watching nightmare alley i wish you could have i wish you could have experienced willow swearing out loud when colleen gray first hit the screen uh uh just blurting out an audible swear word uh, at the appearance of molly's uh, the character of molly played by colleen gray and well why did you swear so angrily and so loudly i don't know i just i don't think i was expecting her her to what exist (laughs) (laughs) what is special about colleen gray she's very pretty she is almost overwhelmingly pretty but not in like a glamorous like hollywoody mm-hmm. way just like oh no that's, <laughs> that's a pretty woman yeah yeah she has these huge eyes she has this enormous mouthful of big teeth and she's just ready there she's just ready to be there to charm your socks off she reminds me kind of of um the woman in black sunday oh yeah uh, i can't think of her name but yes with the big eyes Mm-hmm. And how you're just like, oh, I just can't stop looking at this person, which yeah. is saying a lot, considering that Tyrone Power shares the screen with her. And he is at the time was literally considered the most attractive man in Hollywood. He looks like every guy. Kind of. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was pushing 30 at this point. So he was up there. Uh, Tyrone Power. He uh, they said that uh, actually there was an interview with Colleen Gray where she was basically just like, yeah, Tyrone Power was so attractive. 
she could barely breathe when she was on like when she first met him and he was one of the reasons she got into acting she -hmm. found him so attractive she was like i want to be in a world where this guy lives and then to be cast opposite him she was like oh no yeah so as we said up top tyrone power was basically the reason this movie got made. But what I didn't know is that the producer of this movie, uh, George Jessel, who was also an actor in his own right, mm-hmm. he got he like <laughs> read like the first quarter of a synopsis of a review of the book and was like, I think this will make a good movie. And so he brought it he brought it to 20th Century Fox. And then mm-hmm. but they were like, oh wait, this book is super controversial. We cannot make this into a movie. And it was only then it was on like, separately. Tyrone Power had read the book and he was like, I want to play this role. I want to be this man. We have mm-hmm. to make this movie. And all the censors were like, it can never be made. It's too controversial. Like the readers were outraged. And then when 20th Century Fox announced it was going to be made, people were like, were like, there were like angry letters written like you cannot write this you cannot make this movie it goes against god that was their big complaint it's about it's about like tarot and fortune telling it flies in the face of decency and god it goes against god which is why uh Jules Furthman who wrote the screenplay wrote in all that stuff about where where Molly is like this goes against god and like he wrote in all that stuff because that was the argument coming out. Like none of that stuff's in the book, but that was what people were saying about the novel. That's kinda, dumb. It's kind of clever. Uh, clever though. Like it. No, it, I mean not the not him writing it in. Just people being dumb. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but it was a. I mean, you've read the book. It it deals with some pretty pretty touchy stuff. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of like Oedipal stuff. How is that going against God? Well, I mean, it, it wasn't so much the sex that they were worried about. It was the these characters are like dabbling into like the the occult world, and even if it's a, a hoax, it's still like not cool to show like in a in a major motion picture. It'd be fine if it was a B movie, but this was an A movie with a budget and like a whole studio like. With like star power, it was a big deal. So they brought in Jules Furthman. What about? Weren't there like, whatever? That's stupid. (laughs) What about what? Like other, we've watched a lot of movies from this time period. Yeah, but they didn't have a. They didn't have a book out beforehand that was like Mm -hmm. a kind of a bestseller, and B. They weren't. Most of them weren't a a list films. They kind of snuck in under the radar, and this movie was like. I mean, had a budget and it had a major star headlining it. And uh, so they were just like, it's dangerous. To try to... But so they bring in Jules Furthman, who was like a, a very popular screenwriter to soften it up a little bit. And they were like, you got to soften it up. You got to soften up Stanton uh, and you got to have an ending that isn't just him like succumbing to the drink and becoming a geek. You got to have you got to bring him back together with the with the with the woman at the end. Uh there were some express some people shocked at the fact that Dr. Ritter didn't get her comeuppance. She gets away just like in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh But yeah, so okay, let's step back cuz there's a lot going on here. I want to talk about this movie. I want to talk about Nightmare Alley. I want to talk about these actors uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about story-wise because it's basically the same story as the novel, more or less. Basically, what we're saying is this episode's going to be a lot of you talking. 
<laughs> no, because I want your thoughts on these people. I want your thoughts on these performers. I want to know what you think about how they interpreted these characters, like compared to what was in your mind. Because you read the book before you saw the movie, and I didn't have mm -hmm. that luxury. Um, so in my head, when I read the book, a lot of it is kind of informed by these performers. Uh, but let's start right off the bat. Tyrone Power as our star, Stanton Stan Carlyle. Uh, what are your thoughts on on old Tyrone, on old Stanny boy? It's fine. <laughs> it was. I mean, it wasn't like great, but it wasn't bad. Okay. Uh, any any other thoughts? I mean, he was too old. A little too old he, for the part. The part was drastic. Well, not drastically changed, but it was super cut down, and it just it wasn't. I didn't really get a Stan Carlisle feel from it. So what do you when you think of Stan Carlyle, like what do you think of him? Like how do I you think, think of a narcissistic con man who is constantly trying to pull one over on someone. Uh -huh. And I didn't get that feeling from Stan Carlyle in the movie. Yeah, they soften him up quite a bit. Uh mm -hmm. I I mean, honestly, I think maybe they had to just because like otherwise you'd be spending a whole movie following Stan Carlyle in the book is a pretty unlikable guy. Yeah. And I brought this up already. I brought up the fact that in the movie you have to like the protagonist. Yeah, or at least at least want him to succeed. Yeah, like that's something you have to have in a movie that you don't have to have in a book. So yeah, so they change his backstory. Mm -hmm. uh, they just have him be raised in an orphanage, which I guess is like nice shorthand for like he just had a he had to he had a rough life. They threw in a bunch of stuff about like him having to fake being religious in order mm -hmm. to like get out of reform school, which is pretty cool uh, and pretty like pretty like daring for the time. Um, and then. You, you kind of get the more of the sense in the movie that Stan was just is a guy who like gets in way over his head too fast mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> who's just trying to like step on everyone on his way to the top. Let's talk about let's talk about Xena, Warrior Princess. I kind of felt the same way about Xena. She was oh, yeah? fine. She wasn't great. I think they did a lot of softening of her character that they shouldn't have done. She was a lot more motherly in this than she was in the book. They hint at the fact that they're sleeping together. Mm -hmm. But of course you don't see it and it's really yeah. only hinted at. Yeah, yeah, she is a lot more motherly towards Stan than she is in the book. And her husband. Yeah, yeah, you're I right. Just, I didn't really like that because I felt like it took away a lot of Xena's independence and strong strength. Mm -hmm. She was such a strong character in the book and in this she was just sort of whatever. I I, I disagree. I, th I think she's a little more than whatever. I like Joan I mean, yeah. in, the, in the she, performance. She's... She she performs well. I just I didn't get hooked by her character in the way that I did with the book. Mm, mm. It, she was good for the role. I just think that again, it was the writing and not necessarily the actor. Uh, listeners might know Joan Blondell from her performance in the movie Grease, where she plays the character of Vi, uh, the waitress at the soda shop. Uh, who I think says something to Frenchie like "Don't worry, Frenchie" or something. I don't remember. Uh, she was. This was a big. This was a big movie for her because Joan Blondell up to this point had always been like a sex symbol mm -hmm. and uh, and kind of the romantic lead, a bit of a, a bit of a like the sassy ingenue type role. And this was the point where she was making the transition into older characters. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think she was like in her early 40s by this point. And so the studios were like, what do we do with Joan Blondell? So she she took the leap into playing this character. And uh, it was, you know, it was a big deal for her because, yeah. you know, she's basically saying like, well, this is, this is what I'm going to be playing now. And I think she acquitted herself well. She still mm -hmm. looks great. 
Yeah, she looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. I you just, liked, I think you liked what? her pant. You liked her pantsuits. Well, all of the women's fashion in this is great. Yeah, I just, I think they did the character dirty. I like what they did with Molly. I liked Molly's character. Yes, uh, Molly, we... Molly's character was probably the only one I really felt sort of emulated her in the book. I wish they had added some more stuff about her father, but I understand why they couldn't because you can't really do that in a movie. I kind uh, of, yeah, I, I, there was one moment in there. I don't remember when it was. There's a moment where she's talking with Stan and. Uh, he says something, and I wish they had just thrown it, had her throw in a line like, I can take care of myself, you know, like I grew up on the tracks with my dad or something like that, just so mm-hmm. you knew, like, a l- just they could have hinted at her backstory a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but again, like, there's only so much time in the world, but uh, mm-hmm. she was, um, like, she she had that, like, toughness about yeah. her. She she was, she was cool. I liked her. Um, yeah. And I think that she represented herself well. I'm not just saying this because the actress was really pretty. <laughs> Colleen Gray, who played Molly, she wanted this role so bad. She had been in a few movies before this, a couple of uncredited roles, uh, but uh, she had been in uh, The Shocking Miss Pilgrim where her scenes were cut. Her only like noticeable role up until this was the movie Kiss of Death, uh, which I think came out before it. Um, but she actually lobbied for this role. When she found out the movie was being made, she went straight to to Zanuck and was like, I want to play the role of Molly. And uh, they were like, you're an unknown kid. Like nobody like we need names above this, above the title. And she was like, just let me do a screen test. So they let her screen test for it. And it just it won. It won people over. I think I think that's what it was. I think she screen tested for Nightmare Alley. And that got her the lead in Kiss of Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were like, okay, she can do this. And then they cast her in Nightmare Alley. It was like, it was a huge deal uh, and a huge risk. And she did great. She did yeah. great. Um, she was fantastic. Especially in the, the electricity scene. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I liked seeing her um, interacting with people when mm-hmm. he was on stage. Yeah, yeah she, has, she has a real easy quality about her. She was a lot, she was confident and I really liked that that they, that they kept that with her. Yeah, yeah. It would have yeah. been easy to turn her into sort of a wallflower, typical romantic mm-hmm. lead type thing, but they didn't. They kept her as a central character and I really liked that. Yeah, so she was, uh, she was 25 when this movie came out. I mean, she only died in 2015. She was 92. Mm-hmm. There's an interview, a big interview with her on the, uh, on the Blu-ray and uh, she just sort of reminisces about, about it and, uh, it's it's a uh, it's pretty fun. She has a lot of great stories to tell. Um, and then uh, uh, Helen Walker as Doctor Ritter, who was only twenty seven when this movie was made. I think Doctor Ritter should have gotten more screen time. I thought she had a lot of screen time. I didn't. I don't know. I just I she she just I just I didn't find her that compelling. I when she was on screen, I wanted her to be off screen because I wanted the scene to be over. Yeah. And I don't think it was any fault of the character. I think it was just they didn't do a lot with her yeah. that they could have done. You you said at some point when we were watching it, you were like, man, this movie's really booking it or something. Like, it just mm-hmm. it's just trucking right along. It, it moves fast through the plot. Yeah. And I think that they didn't linger enough on her character. They just sort of were like, eh, she's a crooked psychologist, blah, blah, mm. blah. I think that the problem with turning Nightmare Alley into a movie is that there's a lot that happens in Nightmare Alley. Yeah. And, I mean, the movie's two hours long. <laughs> it's not even two hours long. It's uh, 111 minutes, mm-hmm. which I guess is you know, close to two hours long. But uh... So, like, obviously they weren't going to be able to add much more to it, but I just wish they had developed her a bit more. Because we didn't see her, They we didn't get any sense of, like, her goading Stan into doing this. 
he just sort of came up with it all on his own. Yeah, so they set it up in the movie so that she goes to see one of Stan's performances mm-hmm. and lies to Stan, like lies in her her little like card about having a dead like having a mother who's sick or something or will her mother mm-hmm. get in contact with her. And Stan Stan figures out that she's lying, that she's testing him. So he does goes, Stan figure that out? What? Or does Molly figure it out? One of the two. We'll talk about that in a minute because there's some the the film noir experts who've commented on this movie have said some stuff that I actually wholeheartedly disagree with about this movie in relation to that. He comes up with the idea of running the con because mm-hmm. he finds out that she records all of her sessions. She's a bit unscrupulous anyway. And he comes up with the idea, but they cut their entire romantic relationship. I have a question. Yeah. So she records all of her sessions. Do we right. ever find out if she tells people that she does that? No, because he says, like, you could get in a lot of trouble for that or something. You see her, like, secretly open a panel and, like, flip a switch. Yeah. She doesn't say just... anything about her recording them. Because if you give consent for someone... If for a therapist to record you, I think they can. I mean, yeah, of course, because like therapists take notes in all kinds of different ways. We don't really understand why she's recording. Uh, uh, in the book, they lead you to believe that she's doing this for maybe blackmail reasons, like to have something over these people. Of course, in the book, you also they also hint at the fact that she's not a real psychiatrist. Yeah. That she's a con artist as well. But she's already friends with Ezra Grindle. Like they're mm-hmm. hanging out. They come to see the show together. But they don't ever hint later on that she's like actually involved with him. Mm-hmm. Once she's out, she's just she just disappears from the movie. But she's played by Helen Walker, who's very young, 27 years old. But she plays her older. Yeah. And uh, is a- another person who is almost supernaturally pretty. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but she looks like the devil and she acts like the devil. Kind of. I think she's like super evil. In the book. No, I find her super evil in the movie. I mean, she's she's definitely evil in the movie. I'm, don't get me wrong. And the, the last scene with her in it is Horrifying. awful. She's so dead behind the eyes. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, oh, oh, yeah. uh, when she when she starts gaslighting Stan in the gaslighting scene, that's like you hear the the police sirens. She's called yeah. the police. You hear the sirens and he's like, the police are coming. And she's like, I don't hear what anything. sirens. Yeah. And you're like, oh, lady, she's she did a really good job. I think that if they had had more build up to that, it would have been better. But it, it just felt sort of like a comically evil switch all of a sudden. <laughs> There is something interesting. They spend a lot of time at the carnival, like with all that, like the book does. But because of the way they change the story, the little ways they change the story, you feel I feel like they could have started it later mm-hmm. and maybe had a few flashbacks to the carnival, just so you know where Stan comes from. They structure it like the book, but yeah, I could have used more just Stan, Molly, and Dr. Ritter. Mm-hmm. Like of that, because you don't really get Stan and Molly's relationship crumbling that much. You get some great scenes, mm-hmm. but there's so many time jumps that yeah. it that yeah, it's a little herky jerky. I think that the way you should have made the movie is focusing on the second half of the book mm. because you should start with the second half of the book and maybe through exposition with maybe therapy sessions Mm. you get some of that background yeah because you can start the movie off not knowing why stan is the way he is i was just thinking that like and then you learn more he's a famous psychic yeah and then as things start crumbling around him we get to the part where he's yeah i think that that would have really built ritter up as a villain more than it did like she's like the psychiatrist he's turning to to deal with stuff 
Yeah, we get that. And then I think that um, we start, we see more of the domestic life with Molly and we understand what's going on there. I just, I wish that they had done that instead. Yeah, tell the story of like a psychic, a famous psychic and his wife, who's his partner and like their tricks and how they do it. Yeah, and then, but he's like feeling all kinds of like weird guilt and stuff about something. So he goes to the psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and then they become their own con partners. And Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, 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 I think you could have done something like that to give to give Dr. Ritter a bit more of a yeah more of a pre- yeah not have her be so much of a plot device yeah yeah and again like they don't have a relation a romantic relationship so you don't get to see her manipulating him that way yeah it really just doesn't like it it she's it's it feels like he's the one blackmailing her and then suddenly she turns into the manipulative monster and again yeah and it also plays into the fact that they are softening stan's personality a lot Mm -hmm. he's still a pretty rough guy like Mm -hmm. he's still dangerous Mm -hmm. but he's not just completely without morals like he seems to be in the book Mm -hmm. you get the feeling that he actually does care for molly even though he doesn't he does manipulate her still well in the book i don't even think he gives molly any money he does he does he sends her on her way at the end yeah i thought she just left he gives her he gives her some of the money before he before she leaves like he's like take Mm -hmm. this Um, oh right yeah yeah and he says take this and wait for me and she's like yeet Yeah, she yeets herself out of there. Yeah, they don't bring back. They do bring back uh, Zena and uh, just Bruno in the in the book. They bring them back for one scene, but it's not as pleasant as it is in the book. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Stan freaks out on them. But, is it uh, Bruno? Yeah, because there's no other sideshow people in the movie. Oh, I thought we were talking about the book. No, 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 no. In the book, Zena yeah. shows up a few times, and, yeah. and Stan and Molly use like uh, Major Mosquito in their act and stuff. Like mm-hmm. he he plays the ghost at one point. But uh, in the book, in the movie, you only see there's Xena and Bruno show up kind of in the same place they show back up in the book. They mm-hmm. just like, hey, we're in town. But in the movie, Stan is not pleased to see them. And well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Bruno while we're at it. He sucks. <laughs> he's a lot. He's a lot less likable in the movie. Yeah, he just kind of sucks in the movie. When Stan and Molly get caught out having their tryst in the, while everyone else is, is celebrating Stan's achievement, uh, getting rid of the sheriff, which plays out pretty much the same way. It's actually less religious because, I mean, there's a little bit of religion at the end, and I think that was probably intentional. <laughs> yeah, in the, uh, in the book, he sort of, he, you can, you're inside Stan's head, and he gets a read on who this guy is. Mm-hmm. And because of a few things the guy says, he figures out that he's like, sort of a high up in their local church. And so he like plays on that. Uh, but they leave a lot of that out. I mean, mostly because the scene would be like 15 minutes long if they didn't. Yeah. Uh, but Bruno gets physically upset. The thing is, is Molly knows Bruno likes her in the book, but she never like acknowledges it. And she never, they're both content to just leave that at him having a crush on her, but not doing anything about it. Yeah. In this, she knows and she is adamantly against being with him she's like i'm not interested in you and you need to stop butting into my relationships yeah she's like you need to you need to back off buddy and he does not back he off. doesn't he's he's a little more unsettling like his presence mm-hmm. yeah so he gets he gets clearly jealous so he reveals to everyone kind of like in the book that they had a that they are sleeping together and uh unlike in the book xena gets very upset in the movie mm-hmm. and bruno puts uh stan in a chokehold it is going to kill him if he doesn't marry molly and molly's like what are you doing <laughs> i think that i think adding that part with the physical and the anger really kind of turned me off from the 
character of Xena in mm. this. Yeah, she's hurt. She's 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 visibly upset. Yeah. And I'm just like, you were cheating on your husband with Stan. I don't really feel like you have any grounds here, lady. Uh <laughs> so uh Bruno is played by Mike Mazurki, who was born Markian Yulianovich Mazurkovich. He's a Ukrainian actor. Mm -hmm. If you look at his filmography, he's in like a billion movies. <laughs> but what's cool is he was in the 1940s, the 1945 movie Dick Tracy playing Split Face. And he was in the 1990 movie of Dick Tracy. They brought mm -hmm. him back playing an old man. It's, this, it's it, his second to last movie. He play, He was an old man in Dick Tracy. Uh, and I was. I think that's pretty cool that they like were like... Hey, it's 40 some years later. You were in the Dick Tracy movie and probably the only person still alive. <laughs> Want to be in Dick Tracy? And he was like, you betcha. Uh, he's, he's, got a, he's probably got more credits than anyone else in this whole movie. He's Because you know, he was acting, again, up till 1990. Like, he, yeah. died, he died at the age of 82. Uh, apparently a pretty good guy. He sucks in this movie, though. Not he like does, as an actor, but no. as a character. <laughs> Um, and then let's talk about let's talk about Pete, beautiful Pete, beautiful incompetent beautiful Pete. Pete. But, but Ian Keith, who plays Pete, gives an outstanding. Yeah, he's great. Oh, I would think gosh. he was really wasted on that set. <laughs> yeah, he he plays. He does the scene where he where he does a does a a, a scripted reading on Stan, and he mm -hmm. like uses the the liquor bottle as the as the crystal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. amazing uh they were saying that if this movie had actually gotten any kind of recognition at the time that the studio should have put him up for best supporting actor mm -hmm. for it he was like great. he's amazing uh you really feel for him i, I really felt for him when he mm -hmm. when he died accidentally and it's very clear in the movie it was an accidental poisoning mm -hmm. stan hides the liquor bottle in the same trunk where they store the and they, they make it clear it's the alcohol that xena uses to set the the things mm -hmm. on fire in her act. And then he pulls it out and he just drinks it up. A question about that. Yeah. The wood alcohol bottle is far emptier than the moonshine bottle was in that scene. Uh -huh. How did Stan not notice? How did Stan not notice? I think he was just, I mean, because he was being a jerk. He was, he was letting, like, even though everyone had agreed not to let Pete drink, he still let, like, I think maybe he was just like, oh, if I do this, like Pete will fall asleep and I'll get to go back to go back to Zena. That's what happens in the book. He's just trying mm -hmm. to get Pete to pass out. I just think he wasn't thinking. I just think he, you know, it was a stupid mistake. He was a stupid guy. Uh, Ian Keith also was in the Dick, a Dick, two Dick Tracy movies. He was he played Vitamin Flintheart in two Dick Tracy movies. But yeah, everyone who talks about him was like the guy was amazing. Like everyone loved mm -hmm. working with him, watching him work. Just an amazing, amazing actor. Does a great job in his in his small role. Uh, a lot of people in this movie died young. Uh, 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 Helen Walker, who played Dr. Ritter, um, she was in a car accident during filming of this or she just finished filming this and she was filming another movie car accident. She was driving. She had given these three guys, these three hitchhikers a ride. She hit a divider. Her car flipped, and it killed one of the guys, a soldier. Jesus a soldier, Christ. A soldier named Robert E. Lee, which is also bad. Okay. Um, she was sued and charged with manslaughter. She was accused of being drunk, which was not true, but it was like such a big, high-profile case that like charges started flying. Then... The two people who had brought the case against her were arrested for unrelated char on unrelated charges. Uh, one of them uh, was a suspect in an armed robbery, and the other one narcotics. 
uh, a narcotics charge. It was dismissed uh, ultimately, but it ruined her career. Like it mm-hmm. wrecked her career. So she retired. And then in 19 and then in 1960 her house burned down and then in 1968 she died from cancer at the age of 47. Jesus, I guess God really didn't like this movie. Uh, Helen Walker, who should have had a much better, much awesomer career. I mean, she had a pretty cool career up till then, but she should. I mean, people love again. People loved her. They loved working with her. They thought she was great. And don't she, pick up hitchhikers. Don't pick up hitchhikers. If you're gonna crash your car, don't pick up hitchhikers. Also, just don't pick up hitchhikers. Don't pick up hitchhikers unless you're 100% certain they are incapable of harming you. Right or being harmed. <laughs> um, or and also haven't committed armed robbery or narcotics smuggling yeah just just be careful when you're driving what was fascinating about tyrone power his parents were actors his father was named uh, tyrone power and or he went by tyrone power i was trying to find information on tyrone power and it was a while before i realized i was reading stuff about his father i was like dang he was old born in the 1800s and i was like oh wait no this is a different tyrone power um, so he was like raised in the theater and like in the mm-hmm. acting world. His parents were famous, like super famous. Like his father has had books written about him. So he was like, I'm going to make it as, a, as an actor because I'm just getting cast in everything and I'm acting with my dad. But then they were like, you still got to you still got to learn a thing or two. So he went to acting school, but he like did like vaudeville. He did comedy. He was like a trained like physical actor, like a, an acrobat. Like he could do all kinds of stuff. So when he got, when he kind of got himself cast in this, he was like, did he oh, get yeah. himself cast in it or did he cast himself? Well, I mean, that they still the had question. to, they still had to let him be in it. Uh, but he was like, oh yeah, I know how to do like, like, I, I know how to do this like carnival stuff. Like I can do like sideshow stuff. Like I've done this. I've done like Hey, hey, everybody, come on up and see the show. Like, he knew how to do that. Kind of, like, this was in his blood. He was like, mm-hmm. no one's ever let me play this kind of role before, but I know how to work a crowd. Like, I know how to sell BS to an audience. Like, that. I grew up on vaudeville. I grew up doing this. Uh, he was a pretty complex, like, he had a, he had a cool life. So I guess the moral of the story is that it wasn't the actor's fault that some of the characters were lacking. It was the audience's fault because they complained too much. They complained. There was a lot going on in the making of this film. Uh, I think I mentioned to you that like they built a full carnival. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they had, a, they built instead of just having sets, they built an entire carnival. And, like people could come from like all over to go enjoy this carnival because they wanted a sense of realism. That may not have been true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, There's very little about this movie because, again, 20th Century Fox has tried to sweep it under the rug. Um, So most of it's anecdote and, like, publicity stuff. They think that 20th Century Fox promoted that there was a full carnival built for, like, families to come enjoy because they were trying to, like, soft pedal the fact that this was a really controversial movie. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, like, we built a carnival for the whole neighborhood was, like, oh, how nice of 20th Century, like... At least the kids got something out of this horrible, horrible, morally questionable movie. There's so, no Nightmare Alley in this movie either. There is no Nightmare Alley in the movie. Thank you for bringing that up. They never even mention it. No. There's no Alley in this movie and nobody has a nightmare. Nope. There's also no uh, Molly uh, has to have sex with an old man in this movie. That would have been too much to put into a movie in that time period. Would have been a bridge too far. Instead, it's her first appearance. 
Mm-hmm. There's no seances. There's no ghost horn. There's no ghost trumpet. We don't get to talk about the ghost cone again. I, I was so hoping we get to talk. Again, remember, this. it's been years since I've seen the movie. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, do they do the ghost? I can't remember if they do the seance. There's no seances. Uh, the old lady is in it. God, I can't even think of her name because she's such a small Peabody. Part. Yes. She's in it. She shows up and like they do the whole thing about her daughter, but you never... You never see the seances. Like there's another time jump and she's like, oh, he's wonderful. And like, that's it. As you said, the movie really just trucks right along. It would have been better as a a one season of a TV show. It does seem like something that like Mike, uh, the guy who does all the Netflix, like. I don't uh, know. Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Blind Manor and. That would be interesting to see. Like to do a yeah, to do a full season of 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 uh, of Nightmare Alley. Like yeah, because like, there's so many time. It takes place over so much time that if you're going to try to tell the whole story, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're going to need that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he sets it up with Molly that she shows up as Grindel's ex love, mm-hmm. who you see a photo of. And it's just Colleen Gray. Yeah. <laughs> it's Colleen Gray dressed up in his old timey clothes. She shows up. He freaks out. She freaks out. She's like, oh, Stan, I can't do it. And Stan like pushes Ezra Grindel, who falls and hits his head. And that's kind of the last you see of him. Mm-hmm. You don't get the whole, like, Stan's being trailed by this, like, multimillionaire's henchman. Yeah. He just goes on the lamb and just starts drinking. Because Lilith Ritter does the whole thing where he thinks he has $150,000. He only has $150. He gives it all um, to Molly. And he just gives it to Molly. And he's go, go back to the carnival, baby. The people there will take care of you. And she's like, oh, Stan. But she does. She goes off. His drinking also seems to come out of nowhere. Because in the book, they make such a big deal about the fact that he's never been a drunk. Like, because mm-hmm. he's afraid of drinking because of, like, seeing what it's done to other people. Like, he, he's always been in, so in control of himself. But, yeah, he does. He he goes and he becomes an alcoholic. You see the scene with all the transients on the, on the uh, like, in like the train yard you don't get the cool scene with him and the black guy on the train you don't get that and i love that scene in the book it's a good scene it's a really good scene but and he because xena doesn't come back you don't get the whole thing about about like oh stan like they don't they changed xena's backstory as well right you're right how did they change that they they made it so that she and pete were together while he was famous and then he started drinking and she left, um, right. and he was gone for a while, and then he showed up at the carnival she was at as mm-hmm. a drunk, and she started taking care of him again. And that's significant, because that mm-hmm. plays into the ending of the movie. So Xena doesn't show back up and give Stan a leg up again. He mm-hmm. just completely descends. into. So we don't get the whole thing with like Lilith Ritter marrying Ezra Grindel and that pushing Stan further over the edge. Uh, he just becomes he just becomes an alcoholic. He does have a scene. The the second to last scene is Stan goes up to the guy at a, at a carnival and is like, I have a... What does he say his act is called? Something stupid. Swami Abacadabra. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And I was like, oh, Stan. Oh, Stan. Like, if nothing... Like, that's the sign that he's hit rock bottom is that he couldn't even come up with a better name. And it plays out just like in the book. Word for word, pretty much. The whole thing about Stan learning how a geek is made is kind of like paced out over the beginning like several different characters kind of fill stan mm-hmm. in on the on the geek which i thought was kind of a cool way to let like different characters be like no that's a that's a guy who, i think xena fills him in because mm-hmm. she's like yeah like that's what happens they bring in these drunks and that could have happened to pete but i got i i i you know i found him and i i took care of him 
Uh, so she kept Pete from becoming the geek, mm-hmm. who you see a lot in this movie. He screams a lot. Mm-hmm. He sure does scream. Um, so Stan has his la- has his scene with the guy, and the guy's in, and they add the he's like, "Do you think you can be a geek?" And Stan has a line, "Brother, I was made for it." But then what happens? He has like a breakdown. Yeah, a geek out. And and uh, <laughs> people are like trying to go help, and Molly's like, "What the hell is happening?" Oh, because Molly's there, by the way. Yeah, it's Molly's carnival. Yeah, and so she goes to find out what's happening. She sees him recognizes him and calms him down and says that she's going to take care of him from now on. And the studios demanded this ending because they needed, they were like, you get, you can't have it on such a down note. But I kind of find this even worse than the book. Yeah, I do too. And how come? Because there's, it's not open-ended. There's no like, oh, Stan gets better. It's just like, and he was a drunk forever and died like, drinking because they're literally going to become xena and pete yeah like now you know what's going to happen he's just going to be pete from now on yeah which is kind of sadder yep like it's one thing if he just i don't i mean it's horrible if he becomes the geek and drinks himself to death like that's Mm -hmm. a terrible ending but it's also sad that you know he's going to be just this like guy that everyone just pities and then she starts sleeping with some guy because he's just an incoherent drunk the rest of his life. Like, there's something that's also very sad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is kind of fitting. I don't know. It actually kind of works for me. Uh, so this movie's unusual. It's unusual that it even got made because it's very dark and grim. It's noir, but has no detectives. It has no no guns at all. Mm-mm. It's not really physically violent. It's very psychological, and I was listening to a lot of uh, a lot of commentaries on this. Uh, the Criterion Blu-ray, which is pretty much the only way you can the only way you can see it, has an interview with or like a little short thing with uh, Imogen Sarah Smith, who is she's amazing. She's like one of the world's leading experts on noir, mm-hmm. and she was talking about how like this kind of subverts a lot of noir expectations because it's like you expect the carnival to be the dark place but it's actually because it's like true noir it's the world that's the dark place like the carnival Mm -hmm. is like your safe haven like everyone in the carnival has like a moral code that they stick Mm -hmm. by even if they do put you in a headlock and force you to get married they're sticking by their code and mm-hmm. it's the outside world that's like full of like the cheaters and the swindlers and the liars. Also, everyone just seek out Imogen Sarah Smith. She's amazing. She's she's incredibly... a good first name. I like the name Imogen. She's a great writer. She's a great. She's she's done a lot of like interviews about noir. And if you want to hear someone talk about noir, she's just she's the tops. Uh, she she has like a ton of things on the Criterion uh, Criterion dot com. Like you can just read her 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 essays. But uh. But the thing I was going to talk to you about, the thing that the thing that I totally disagreed with uh, when it came to when it came to the experts thoughts on on Nightmare Alley. And again, I'm no I'm no expert. Uh, This is just my my personal view. But I wanted your I wanted your thoughts. I'm I'm, I'm looking up the names of the guys because it really just threw me when they started talking about it. Um, uh, James Ursini and Alan Silver, they're also noir experts. They talk about this a lot. And 
They said, oh, because there's a lot of tarot card reading in the movie. There's two scenes with tarot cards. I think that's not a lot. That's just two scenes. I think it's a lot because I think it gets more weight than it does. Even though the book is divided up by tarot cards, it almost feels like the movie gives it more importance and more weight Mm -hmm. than the book does. Like the book is very much like your life is kind of like. Your life is what you make it, but it's also, like, out of your control. Your life is, you know, fate has dealt you a hand. Here, I'm splitting this book up into chapters based on tarot cards. But Zena Actually, does... fate, has, fate has dealt you several hands, and you chose the wrong one. Right. And Zena does these card readings and is like, Stan, you gotta, you gotta do the hanged man, Stan. And as many people have pointed out, Zena does bad tarot card readings. Yeah. These no, are awful. not... These are not real tarot card readings. The um, death card eh, has nothing to do with death. Yeah. The hanged man doesn't mean a bad thing's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, but in any case, she's like, Stan, you gotta the hanged man, Stan. That was that was Pete's card, Stan. And she keeps drawing it for him. And what James Orsini and uh, Alan Silver keep saying is that. There are things in this movie that Stan predicts and sees. And there's the whole tarot cards. The movie is saying Stan actually does have latent psychic abilities. And Xena actually has latent psychic abilities. And the, the, the evidence they give is compelling because Gresham himself was sought out psychic stuff. He, he believed that there was more to this life than we know. He was religious. He believed in another world. And so they think that the movie is saying that they're like, there are things Stan sees in other people that he couldn't possibly have known. He could not have known that Lilith Ritter's mom was still was was already was dead. He couldn't have known that. That's impossible. But I'm like, I think the movie does a pretty good job at him saying, like, no, I'm just really good at reading people. I also think that there's there's three no, there's two things. Because I think what happened was Molly knew she was lying. Because I think in this, Molly's also trained to read people because she's the one who reads the questions. Yeah. And has to know, like, she has to know the code Mm -hmm. and how, and, like, what the code means. So she has to be able to read people too, right? Right. Like, that's how the code works. So I think she knew Ritter was lying. She told Stan with the code. And then Stan extrapolated based off of the, like, how, if someone was lying, what could the truth be? Yeah. Her mom was, she said her mom was sick, which she didn't pull out of thin air. So maybe her mom was sick and died. Right. And she's asking if her mom's, I just, I think that there's, there's, it's pretty clear in the book that he is really good at psychologically reading people and knowing that people that every lie has a bit of truth to it her mom probably was sick and she probably at some point was wondering if she was ever going to get to talk to her again and then she died yeah and to me actually having ritter there Mm -hmm. and him doing that read on her to me actually supports the fact that he's not psychic because to me that is saying i can smell a con artist Mm -hmm. like i know we know each other. Like, I know a yeah. con artist. And that's what draws her to draws him to her in the first place is the fact that she immediately somehow gives up the fact that she's a she's a she's a fake and a cheat. Mm-hmm. And if he was psychic, that wouldn't have the the same like to me meaning. It wouldn't be as dramatically yeah. interesting. It's it's like they say like Hamlet. Hamlet's not interesting if he's just crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Hamlet's interesting because he's pretending to be crazy. That's mm-hmm. interesting. That's dramatic. Uh, to me, Stanton isn't interesting if he's actually a psychic. Like, what, no, it's boring. Like, what does that? Yeah, what does that even do? Like, how does that? I mean, maybe like if if the whole point was if they had gone the route of like a guy who thinks he's a con artist, but then oh my god, what if he's not a con artist? That is an interesting story, but that's not the story they're telling. No, this is the story of a con artist who hits the top and then hits rock bottom right afterwards. Exactly. It's a con <laughs> artist who gets conned. It's a con artist who yeah. is, is running from something the whole time. We're trying to, trying to be the greatest, and he steps too far. And the movie is basically the story of a guy who reaches too far, and he comes crashing down. Like It's not mm-hmm. the same as the book. The book is about a guy who's constantly running away from something, and he, he suddenly realizes that the light at the end of the tunnel, he'll never get to it. Like, mm-hmm. And also, Xena's card reading... How hard is it to to say, like, Stan, if you keep going down this path, you're going to get hurt? Of course she knows that. She saw it happen to her husband. Yeah. Like, that doesn't take a psychic to say, like, if you keep pursuing this, if you keep going in the direction the exact same guy went in, the exact same thing is going to happen to you, Stan. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't take a psychic to be able to predict the future. Right, because especially when it's actions, so obvious. Actions have consequences. Yeah. And they tend to be pretty specific consequences. And it makes sense to me. I mean, maybe Xena believed in the cards. Mm-hmm. But even that is like, to me, it feels like Xena and Bruno showed up at the house to be like, we've got, we've got to stop. I mean, if nothing else, we've got to stop Stan just for Molly's sake. Yeah. Like, they love Molly. They want her to be okay. Like... I just, I don't need there to be magic in this. No. At all. And it's so weird that, like, the the two famous film historians, and there's an essay that came with it, also mentions that everyone keeps talking about the fact that the cool thing about this is you don't really know if there is psychic stuff going on. And I'm like, that's not cool to me. That's like, I don't need, I, I never, it never even occurred to me until they started talking about it. No, that doesn't make any sense because if he was psychic, then the consequences of his actions don't make any sense because he was telling the truth. Right. I just it doesn't like Plus the <laughs> book goes to such great length to show how he does everything. And I think one thing that's really cool in the movie is when they're doing their code, like mm-hmm. Stan, what is this woman holding? You're like, "Oh, I can hear them doing mm-hmm. doing the code in their tone of voice." Like you hear them doing the trick and it's really neat to hear them do it. Like they know how yeah. to they know how to play it so it sounds natural if you're not listening for it, but if you are listening for it, you're like, oh, they're like totally, Ritter was. Yeah. Uh it's it's just it's really I don't know. I don't need magic. I do need a ghost horn. I do need a ghost cone. There and, better be a ghost cone in Del Toro's version, or it's an instant zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I really hope that Del Toro doesn't follow the path of the book and does his own like mix them up mm-hmm. with it. I hope he I hope he takes the book and creates a new animal using the it but stays true to the theme. If there's gonna if Stan is psychic in the movie, I'm gonna be so mad. I hope he's psychic and I hope whenever he uses his psychic powers he gets a nosebleed. That's the best thing. Why do psychics get nosebleeds? That doesn't make any sense. We it honestly makes no sense. Why brain I think it has something to do with like brain pressure and if your brain is leaking <laughs> You have problems beyond being. First of all, your brain doesn't leak blood. Your no. brain would leak amniotic fluid, and that's a. Di- if your or nose it's... is leaking amniotic fluid, there's a problem. 
Or it has something to do with pressure and, like, the person exerting a lot of pressure. So they like, they could pop a blood vessel or something. It's called a psychic nosebleed. There's a whole page on TV tropes about it. It makes no sense. It's just shorthand for... I this use, person's psychic. I use my psychic powers. Or in Japan, I have a crush on this girl. Or whatever it means when a character's <laughs> nose bleeds in anime. It means something totally different. But final thoughts on Nightmare Alley. It was good. I liked it. So you did like it. Yeah, no, it was a great movie. <laughs> it just wasn't anything. It wasn't. It doesn't compare to the book. It on its own, it's a fantastic movie. It definitely feels like they were working under duress. Like there was, they were trying their darndest to make the best movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had, they had a lot of problems in their way. Again, it, I think it came, they said it came out and like, two, they pulled it after I think two weeks, 20th century Fox was so afraid of this movie. It, it had, it was controversial when it came out nobody wanted to distribute it just because of reputation of the book. Everyone who did see it said that like Tyrone power was like, it's like the, the performance of his career. Like it should have made him like taking him to a next level. It did get a lot of bad reviews, but mostly from like uptight people who were like, ugh. And then what was weird was uh, it disappeared because of rights reasons. No one knew who had the rights to it for a while. Like the producer thought he had the rights. So this movie never hit VHS. It was never on tape. It didn't hit home video until DVD came out. (laughs) Yeah, that's why it disappeared. And so the only way people could see it was through like weird bootlegs, like people who had their hands on like 16 millimeters and then shot like VHS copies. of It was weird. Like you never saw it. So Nightmare Alley became this sort of mythical film. Then it hit and people were like, oh, it was worth the wait. Uh, And No, it's a great movie. I complain about every movie we watch. And then I say, "Oh no, it was fantastic." It was a good movie. Uh, if you, if you, if you, I mean, the only way you're going to see it is if you buy the the Criterion release, mm-hmm. which has the only legal way you're going to see it. A great, great commentary by James Orsini and Alan Silver. Although I do feel like they spend too much time on the "is it really psychic powers" discussion. I think that that's. I think they spend too long on that. Great interview with Imogen Sarah Smith. Great interview with Colleen Gray. Um, and uh, and uh, it comes with a booklet that has a pretty cool essay on the history of the movie. It's, it's it should have been a more successful movie than it was, but I'm glad people can see it now. Um, you want to know what I hate about conversations of oh, was it ghosts or was it all in their head? It's dumb, is what it is. Like, there's no it, does it matter? No, <laughs> I think I, that uh, themes change if you have ghosts or don't have ghosts. But I don't think the conversation unless you're like, I just don't think that's a conversation that needs to be had all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go back to our changeling conversation, which is ghosts are dumb. Yep. Seances are dumb. Uh, and I'm really sad that we didn't get to see a cool fake seance in this movie. Yeah, that would have been fun. We would have uh, had something to compare it to. I I am going to hold out hope that del toro is going to lean into the the fake seance world because it could be cool to see all of this played out with like the the rapping and major mosquito i hope major mosquito is in this movie i have friends now who have seen the movie because they're film critics and they get to see these movies ahead of time and they're already releasing their reviews i'm having to block so many people that i know because they're reviewing this movie they're reviewing del toro's movie speaking of del toro we know that he likes this movie he talks so much about it. He loves this movie. It's one of his He doesn't favorite. put it on his ecstasy of influence, though. 
No, he doesn't. We don't understand why. Um, Again, maybe he wasn't influenced by this movie. He just really likes it and wants to make it. Because I don't see a lot of del Toroisms in this movie. No, but I know that he loves the seediness of the story. I know that from interviews just from my, that I read years ago, that he was fascinated by the 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 shenanigans of it, the like mm-hmm. the the trick of it, the trick of being a fake psychic, the trick of of the fake seances, and how that all kind of like starts working against our protagonist. Like, there's a lot thematically and i think you know we used to talk about del toro loving a person descending into the underworld uh the idea of a nightmare alley is really that there better be a nightmare alley in del toro's movie they better explain nightmare alley because i love i love that symbolism i love that image it's a a great image i actually used that image did you in one of my graphic design projects (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I I used it for a. We had to do a collage based off of song lyrics, and I chose "I'll Follow You Into the Dark," and I used the mm. Nightmare Alley image. Yeah, the fact that we all have our own Nightmare Alley that sits inside us, and that we're all trying to run to escape. Uh, there's just so much. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it because I think that uh, I think that Del Toro is just gonna. I, if nothing, he I think he's good at wedding visuals. With the mm-hmm. psychological stuff. And uh, I mean, you know, Shape of Water, even though it had a fish made, it didn't have anything supernatural in it. No, it was all about people. I it's think, all about people. I think Del Toro is really good with uh, people. Yep. He talks about being a monster man. Mm-hmm. But I think that his ability to turn monsters into people is what makes him really good at what he does. Yeah. So uh, next week. Uh, oh, my there gosh. was a bit of weird supernatural stuff at the end of Shape of Water. <laughs> Well, but it's like science fiction supernatural. Yeah. Um, but next week, you and me are going to... To a movie! A movie! An actual butts in seats, looking Popcorn at a Popcorn in mouth. Movie. A real movie. This at is gonna one be o'clock. My, this is going to be my first movie in a theater in two years. Or yeah. a little less than, less than two years. Because close to two years, because my last movie I saw in the theater was Little Women. And that was on like christmas day maybe christmas it was Eve? i remember you telling me that you guys were going to go see little women for christmas we were going to go see little we saw little women so uh yeah this is gonna be our first movie in in about on almost two years so yeah so next week uh ladies and gentlemen we will be bringing you our thoughts on guillermo del toro's <laughs> i'm so excited nightmare alley and then we'll be doing guillermo del toro's pinocchio not for a while that's been pushed back again Oh, thank God. So uh, we don't have to worry about Pinocchio for a while. Um, But until then, I am Phil. I'm Willow. And we'll see you when... It's Del Toro Toro time. time.